right. So I'm going to be reading our passage today, but I just want to highlight that we've got these cards for you guys on the seats. Um, we use these in our group. Um, we usually take these home, and they're great because they have our memory verse. Um, we've got our readings for this series, and then you can text your questions. All the info's right there. You can text your questions anonymously so that um, we can answer them at the end of the series, and it's anonymous, so... Um, okay, so we're going to be reading Corinthians 5, 1 through 13 today, if you want to um, pull out your Bibles and follow along, or it's going to be up on the screen. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present... I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed, and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may have a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the yeast, but with the bread without yeast, the bread within, with sincerity and truth. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, greedy, and swindlers, or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not the judge? Are you not to judge those inside, God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. And this is the word of the Lord. If I haven't met you yet, um, and it's great to be here in person, online, whatever the format is, um, we do have uh, a portion of our church that is online for those that are in the room. And it's good to remember there are people that are a part of your church uh, that for this season just can't be in the room geographically or health reasons or whatever circumstances. But you've got a, uh, a church that is, is gathered and scattered. And we have been looking at these letters of First and Second Corinthians all year, breaking them into mini-series. And I'll tell you what, if you're still here in January, uh, you went through the gauntlet, man. Right? We've talked about uh, money, we've talked about truth, we've talked about um, all kinds of different, we talked about women uh, and gender in the church, we talked about the future resurrection, uh, right now we're talking about sexuality, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in the coming weeks, and suffering, and so yeah, that's why I say, if you can get through this series with us, man, you're ready to get a Hub City tattoo, aren't you? <laughs> yes, uh, you are in. Uh, I, I just think... I, I, I really have enjoyed just focusing in on these two letters because they deal with real life topics, things that our world is discussing and talking about, and we're not doing it in response to our culture, but we're doing it because, 
man, God is, has inspired this thousands of years ago when he wrote it uh, through the Apostle Paul to the early church, and it's still relevant to us today. The same complicated issues back then are complicated today. And last week, we started talking about sex in church, and uh, that was fun. And so we thought, hey, let's keep going. And we're not just going to do it for three weeks. We're going to do it now for six weeks. So uh, I'll see you in about five weeks. Um, no? Yes? That was a joke that some of you are going to want to run away. Uh, that sex in church is like talking about Bruno and Encanto. You're like, we don't talk about that. Uh, you'll get it on the way to lunch today. You'll get that joke. But as you're reading this text that, that Chloe read, and I love that we read the text in its entirety uh, because God's word is lasting. My comments on it, you'll forget it before lunch. But God's word is lasting. And so by soaking in it for a moment, reading it in its entirety, we see some buzzwords. We see judgment. We see casting out. We see shame. We see confrontation. We see what people outside of the church assume about Christians in terms of this topic of sexuality. Oh, you want to talk about sex? You're going to cast me out of your church. I'm not good enough. Oh, you want to talk about sex? You're going to judge me. You're going to criticize me. You're going to confront me. You're going to shame me. That that is the uh, perspective of our culture when it comes to a Christian perspective on sexuality, a gospel-centered sexuality. And it's seen with those types of buzzwords as we read in this text here. But Paul is giving some parameters for this conversation. And as she's reading it, maybe you noticed it, Paul is not talking about people outside of the church. He's not talking about us anointing ourselves, as Christians have over many generations, as the holiness police. You are not the holiness police. I am not the holiness police. It is not our job to confront, comment, coerce, condemn in an effort to correct our culture where we disagree about sexuality. Let me say that again because Paul says it in this text. It is not our job to confront, comment, coerce, condemn in an effort to correct our culture where we disagree on the topic of sexuality. Because what does Paul say? What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? God will judge those outside of the church. But for millennia, the church has taken up that mantle and said, God, I got this. How many Christians take over the job description of God and say, well, let me write some speeding tickets here, God. Let me be the holiness police for you. It's Paul is like a parent having to correct his children. How many of you parents have to correct your kids and say, hey, uh, hey, kiddo, you're not the parent. I am. You're a sibling. Be a sibling. Now, I'm an only child, so I didn't have to live in that context. But now as a parent of three kids, there are times where I got to get down on their level and say, hey, kiddo, I'm the dad, not you. Christians try to step into God's shoes and say, I'll be God, I'll judge, I'll condemn, I'll correct, I will comment, I will confront. And I like to tell, uh, my, my mantra on this is that I can't expect people that don't love Jesus to act like Jesus. They haven't fallen in love with Jesus. How can I expect them to act like Jesus? And just as we can't judge culture, we can't also disengage from culture. Paul says in verse 9, I have written this in my letter. I have written to you, uh, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. 
not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. What is he saying there? Man, you can't escape the brokenness of this world. There are people who will disagree with you on this topic of sexuality. I'm sure there's people in this building right now or watching online that disagree with us. But you can't just extract yourselves and, and, and pull ourselves out of our culture and just create these little Christian bubbles of security and safety and isolation and say, well, we're just going to create these little Christian bubbles because it's going to be so much better. Paul's saying you'd have to leave the world if you, if, if you expect to just disengage and escape the sexual brokenness and the sexual perspectives and the sexual confusion and the sexual identities that you disagree with. But unfortunately, just as it was in Corinth, it is today, sometimes the response of the Christians is to say, well, I'm, I'm going to run away from that. I'm going to cut out from that. I'm, I'm, and that. Jesus told his disciples and prayed over them and said, God, they're going to be in this world, not of this world. You're going to be in this world. We are going to be a part of this world. We're going to engage with this world, but we don't have to be like this world. And so Paul is not giving a correction to people outside of the church. But as he's writing this letter, he's writing to Christians. Newsflash. Let's think about this for a moment because this is breaking news. Christians struggle with sexual sin. He's not correcting the people outside of the church. He already knows. Like, yeah, they don't, they don't see it the same way. They're going to struggle as well. But guess what? There's people within the church, within the Christian circles, they're going to struggle with sexual identity, sexual addiction, sexual confusion, sexual sin. And that's where it starts to feel a little awkward because we expect that outside of these walls. But when we get into the walls and we're like looking around the room, he's talking about us. He's talking about me. He's talking about you. He's talking about us. We struggle with this. And the church plays a part in the health and the growth and the development of people. The church plays a role as Paul is talking to the church and about the church. What is he saying? He's saying that the the church plays this vital role in the development of people's faith and their identity in Jesus and their ability to understand God's truth and to grow in their identity as children of God. Paul sees the potential of what the church can be, but he's looking at the church in Corinth and saying, but you're not there because what's going on? The church can be a place of freedom. The church can be a place of health and wholeness and unity and developing and people experiencing freedom and, and, and wholeness. But he's looking at this church, and in verse 1, right out of the gate, he says, it's reported that there's sexual immorality among you. And of a kind that does not even occur among the pagans, a man has his father's wife. Now, that is an interesting way to say, there is a guy in your church sleeping with his stepmom. If there are kids in the room, it's going to get spicy this morning. But that is, the, that is a dynamic, a relationship that is taking place. You've got this man who is sleeping with his stepmom because his dad has at some point remarried. And, well, we'll just let you connect the dots on how all that went. But what Paul is saying is people even outside of the church don't do that. That's too spicy for them. But this is happening here. And he's looking at this dynamic of this man, and what does he see? He sees a man that is not lacking remorse. He doesn't want to change. He's stuck in this cycle of sin, and he's apathetic about it. He's okay with this sexual immorality. 
And what is sexual immorality? In Paul's definition, it is anything outside of the marriage covenant between a man and a woman. Any relationship, sexual intimacy, sexual connection, outside of that marriage covenant, that exclusive bond between a man and a wife, a husband and a wife, excuse me. And so he's watching this dynamic play out. And there is this apathy. This guy claims to be putting Jesus first. And yet, he's stuck in the sin cycle. And what Paul would, would say is he's cheapening the grace. In Romans, he talks about cheap grace. And that's a phrase, this idea of, well, I know God's going to forgive me, so I can do whatever I want, and all I got to do is ask for forgiveness. And we begin to just cheapen that grace. I'll keep doing whatever feels good, whatever I want to do, and da 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 because I know on Sunday morning all i got to do is, Jesus, forgive me. All right. And we view God as kind of this guilt eraser. Oh, I feel bad. God, that wasn't right. I shouldn't have done it. Okay, just erase the guilt. And, and it can be all kinds of areas of sin and addiction and struggle and feeling stuck in that, but specifically Paul is talking about sexual sin, and, and we get stuck in these cycles. We get stuck in these routines. We get stuck looking at porn or sleeping together with a significant other or with some random person. And we cross those boundaries and, and we get caught up into this. And initially there's remorse. And we get on our knees. Oh, Jesus, forgive me. I was wrong. This is terrible. I should never do this ever again. I desire to change. And then this repeated repentance. Repeated repentance. Repeated repentance. And we just get stuck in this cycle. And this repeated confession almost becomes monotonous. And we don't move forward, we just feel stuck in it. Well, I know God will forgive me, so I'm going to mess around with my girlfriend, and then I'll just ask Jesus to forgive me, and I'll, I'll feel better. I know I shouldn't be looking at porn, but I'm, Jesus, forgive me, wash me clean, make me new. Okay, and we get stuck in this momentary guilt erasing, but it's not washing clean my heart because I don't want to change. This man is, is in this sin cycle, and he doesn't want to change. How does this happen? How does this happen within the church? Paul sees a, a symptom brewing in verse 2. He says, you are proud. In verse 6, he says, your boasting is not good. So unlike other people's sexual sin that you might have in the church, this guy's is totally public knowledge. Everybody's reading about it on their Facebook page. Like, yeah, we know these two are doing what they're doing. It's totally public knowledge, and the rest of the church is just like, yeah, it is what it is. You do you, man. Go for it. And they're living in that cheapened grace, like Paul would be correcting them to, to say what is happening. They're overlooking it. They're unrepentant of it. They're tolerating it. They're okay with it. They're dismissing it. And the symptom that he's addressing is this pride. They've got this spiritual pride of self-righteousness within them. Oh, look at how spiritually mature we are because we are not judging him. We're accepting. We're welcoming him. Get him some more grace. Get him in here, man. Let's just continue to pray for him. Eventually, God will change his heart. And they are so prideful in this. It has created this 
culture or this dynamic where sin is no longer sin. It is no longer broken. It is no longer regarded as a problem. And so Paul is looking at this and saying, wake up, guys. We got an issue. And he compares it to yeast. How many bakers do we have in the room? Yeast. Right? Raise your hands. Come on. You can be proud. You like to bake. I should put my hand down because I don't bake. I buy. I eat. I don't bake. And I don't know a lot about baking, but I know yeast can have an impactful effect on the bread. But look at what Paul says. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? So get rid of the old yeast. That you may be a new batch without yeast, not with the old yeast. The yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Something is permeated into that church culture. Something that would have been easily dismissed. Not just the man's behavior, but the attitudes of their heart. And he's saying, you've got you to address that. Get rid of that. And sprinkle in not just this tolerance and sprinkle in this acceptance. No, you've got you've to sprinkle in sincerity and truth. And that sounds a lot like when the Apostle John, the guy that wrote the Gospel of John, says grace and truth. Sincerity and truth, grace and truth. John 1 says that Jesus was filled with grace and truth, 100% filled with grace and truth, right? He's a man of mercy and compassion and love, but he was also a man that called people out and he corrected them. He was a man of truth. He was a man of honesty. He confronted issues when he saw them. Sincerity and truth, grace and truth. This is a healthy dynamic that is supposed to be within the church. And what Paul is saying is you've got to sprinkle in within this church because I believe in the church. I have hope for the church. You sprinkle into the church, not this acceptance and this tolerance and this blind eye to sin. Uh, you do you, bro. No, he's saying we've got to sprinkle in sincerity and truth. And I want to draw back on an illustration that our pastor Tyler had a couple years ago. If you've been with us for a while uh, you'll remember this. If not, you're going to think I'm really smart. Uh, but he had this illustration of grace and truth being represented by paddles, right? And when you're paddling a boat, you don't do it like this. But when you're paddling a boat, I got to do it so the words are up. And Yeah, good luck, Sean. But you're paddling, and you need two paddles. Otherwise, with one paddle, right? And then that, that's what's happening in this church. They're just paddling with all grace, baby. And they're just paddling and paddling, and they're not building that momentum, right? When you try to paddle with one paddle, you're just, you're, what are you going to really end up doing? Going in circles. And that's what Paul's seeing. He's seeing the Corinthian church, and you're just wondering, when is he going to stop? When is he going to stop? And Paul is eventually going to say, church, you're going to get a little dizzy. For those watching online, I think I just went off camera too. But when we live just with grace, we're going to get a little confused. We're going to get a little dizzy. We're going to get a little thrown off. We're going to go in circles. And some of us, we read this passage, and this morning you're thinking, yeah, but why don't we just pray for the guy? Just pray for him a little bit more. Get him into a small group. Get him volunteering. Just pray for him. Anoint him with oil. Get him to a mission trip. Get him to church camp. Get him, to, get him, get, get him a little grace, man. Cut him some slack. And Paul's not anti-grace. We read this, we're like, where's the grace? Paul is not anti-grace. Paul, uh, throughout the Corinthian letters, tells us to forgive, to welcome back, to reconcile. 
Paul fights for grace. And in Romans chapter 2, he says, it is by kindness that we are led to repentance. Think about what led to your repentance? What led to you saying yes to Jesus, right? It wasn't harsh criticism. You weren't scared straight to Jesus. It was kindness. The gentleness of God's love. Romans 2 says, God's kindness leads you towards repentance. And we're to live with kindness. We're to live with grace. Paul's confronting a church situation that's gotten complicated because they're all grace, all grace, all grace. And we need to introduce a little bit of truth. We need both. And some of us get really excited when we're like, oh, truth. I like truth. How many of you like truth? You're the rule followers. You're the enforcers. You're the sin hunters. You're the Christians that like to tell it how it is. Let me be honest with you. Can I be honest with you? We like truth. And those of us that really like truth get really excited in this passage because we're like, yeah, Paul, you tell him. You tell him. You kick him out. He's, he's messing up. We got to get this right. I'm just going to lay these down. There we go. And I'm reading that and thinking about people that enjoy truth, and I'm one of those people because I like rules, because I can follow rules. And it reminded me of when I was in elementary school, and I got given a yellow vest. This morning is Prop Sunday. Um, When I was in elementary school, they gave me a yellow vest and said, Sean, you are a conflict mediator. You get a clipboard and a whistle and a yellow vest. I'm a fourth grader walking around to school. What am I going to do? But you have given me power as a fourth grader. Hey, stop running. Hey, share that basketball. Monkey bars, you're hogging them. We get power. You give a kid a vest, and what happens? I just get power, man. I get bloated. I get just so egocentric of just like, I want to enforce every rule. Slow down. Walk on this side of the hallway. Do this. Do that. Do this. Do that. Right? I want to follow all these rules. And Christians, sometimes we get landing on this truth. We read a passage like this, and we're like, put on the yellow vest. Here we go. We're bringing the truth. Buckle up, Christians. Here we go. And we get excited to exert power over people. Truth Introducing truth is not about sin hunting. Adding the paddle of truth into our rowing is not about calling out people's sin and looking to hand out speeding tickets of holiness. Right? It's not, hey, stop looking at porn. With your girlfriend, stop doing that. That's what people expect Christians to be. That's what keeps us quiet in our sin, isn't it? Because we know the moment I get vulnerable, you're just gonna, you're gonna smack me with this truth paddle. You're gonna hurt me. And if we get excited to introduce truth into the conversations with people, may, may, we, may our zeal be tempered when we read Jesus' words about judging others. In the Sermon on the Mount, what does Jesus say? How dare you look at the speck in your neighbor's eye while you've got a plank in your eye? 
Hey, Josh, let me get that uh, little eyelash off your cheek there. Sean, you've got a two-by-four sticking out of your cheek. Yes, I do. You do you. I do. I will help you. You, you know, Jesus, what is Jesus saying? Deal with this. Judge yourself first. Self-examine first. Get on your knees first. And Christians, we lead out of the gate, and we want to get the sawdust out of people's eyes. We want to tell them all the things that they've got wrong, and we want to point out all their flaws and all their brokenness and all their issues and everything that they need to deal with. But we ourselves need to be honest and say, you know what? I struggle with sexual sin, too. I struggle with looking at porn. I struggle with lustful thoughts. I struggle with wanting to do this, or I cheat on my spouse, or I... I, I, I have these desires and attractions to the same sex, or I want to do this, or I want to do that, or I want... Write it on your plank, whatever it is. I was giving arbitrary examples, by the way, not just my rap sheet of everything that I struggle with. <laughs> well, we've all got planks. And introducing truth is more about preserving than punishing. Truth is about focusing on preserving, not punishing. And so we've got to kind of, we've got to be willing to give up the yellow vests and the whistles. And we've got to be willing to say it's about preserving relationship with people. It's about preserving a friendship. It's about preserving their best with Jesus. It's about seeing them grow as a disciple and a follower of Jesus. Punishment is about me making you feel bad. Punishment is about me conforming you into my image. Punishment is about me feeling better about myself. Punishment is about me belittling you so that I don't have to talk about my planks and my sins and my struggles. But truth Truth is really centered on preservation. It's preserving people. It's building people up. It's edifying them. It is, truth is about honestly bringing God's word into the conversation, asking questions, and listening. Saying, well, what does Jesus say about what you're doing? Truth is, is willing to get into that awkwardness, right? And not just say, like, everything is awesome. No, not everything is awesome hey, man, I'm noticing this, and what does Jesus say about that? How does what you're doing reflect the gospel? How, I'm noticing this, how does that, how does that help you grow in Jesus? How does that help your family grow in Jesus? How does that help others hear the gospel of Jesus? How about this, how's your heart in this situation. You see, I'm not asking that question to conform you into my image or to punish you. I would ask that question, how's your heart as you're dealing with this? Man, because I want your heart to be chasing after God. Truth is willing to face that awkwardness and hit it head on with gentleness and honesty, sincerity and truth, grace and truth. Can we talk for a moment, though, about the awkwardness of Paul wanting to kick a guy out of the church? Because as we talk about grace and truth, we see the dynamic of what can be within the Christian community. Man, 
man, that we are living in this wholeness and this health and this honesty and this sincerity and, oh man, this is really good. But then it gets to this point where Paul says, uh, you're out. You need to kick this guy out. And this can be tough for us. We hit this passage, we're like, but I thought church was for everybody. Sean, we're ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. Who gets kicked out? And as I wrestled with this passage this week, I, I realized that there are tough scenarios involving tough hearts. And it's going to lead to tough corrections. This is a tough situation that Paul's facing. And he's dealing with somebody who has a, a hardened heart, a tough heart, a calloused heart. And it's leading to some tough correction. Shouldn't you rather be filled with grief and have put out, have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Hand him over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved in the day of the Lord. He goes on to say, expel the wicked man from among you. Stop associating with him. Don't hang out with him because this guy is so immersed in his sin. He's got such a tough heart. He doesn't want to change. And it's a tough decision to say, hey, I'm going to ask you to not be a part of this community anymore, this church community, this church family that's developing. Think about how difficult that conversation would be. That would be a very tough conversation to have, right? But what the hope is, is that at that point, when he hits rock bottom, he will evaluate his choices. He will evaluate his losses. And maybe that's just what he needs to be a catalytic moment for change. But that's going to be his rock bottom to say, I can't do this anymore. And it sounds drastic, right? One pastor talked about that I was learning from on this, this idea. He painted this picture of, in some settings, they would even have almost this like pre-death uh, funeral service for the person when they cast them out. Can you imagine sitting on the stoop of the church and they're talking about you? And like, wasn't it great? We loved Sean. He was awesome and humorous and amazing and he taught the word and we just loved him. But then, and it sounds drastic. It sounds destructive to a person, but think about it. In Paul's perspective, it would be more destructive for him to stay and the status quo remain than for something to change, for one person to be asked to leave. It's going to be more destructive to the individual. It's going to be more destructive to the church. It's going to be more destructive to the gospel's effectiveness in the community for that to just stay as status quo. And I thought about this. And, and think about how you feel. How do you feel when you read another article about a pastor that abused his power? I feel like we see him every week. How do you feel when you watch another documentary about a church where abuse took place? It's real. I mean, I feel like they're everywhere now, right? On, on the plethora of streaming services, you're going to find another documentary. You're going to read another article. You're going to read another headline right? And, and you're talking about a community of people that just continue to turn a blind eye. And I don't know the scenarios of every situation and every pain, but what I do know is watching those things, reading those things, what do you see? Victims being hurt. Church, churches of people 
being hurt, people losing trust in their faith and in the community of believers. The perception of the gospel is hurt with every headline, with every documentary, with everything that, and I'm, I'll be honest, it hurts. I'm glad the truth is coming out. I'm glad that the, these people are having to live with the accountability of their decisions. But you think about the dynamic of how quietly people just tolerated and accepted and allowed these things to happen. And that's what Paul is shaking up. And as extreme as Paul's instructions may sound, they fall in line so closely to what Jesus said when dealing with conflict. Look at Matthew 18. It's going to be up on the screen. Matthew 18, he says, this is Jesus talking about conflict. And look at the similarities to what Paul says in the Corinthian letters. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just because the two of, just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you've won your brother over. And if he does not listen, take one or two others along. That every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And in that culture means cut him out. Ostracize. Excommunicate. Expel. But what, what Jesus is getting at is the same thing that Paul is. is, is talk it out together. Confront them. Talk about it with honesty and truth and sincerity. Hey, when you did this, it hurt me. And if it still doesn't reconcile, add a mediator. And if that doesn't work, add the church. And if that doesn't work, man, there's going to be some tough consequences, some tough decisions that have to get made. And it seems extreme, but look at it. You see grace and truth all the way along with every conversation. There's grace to say, let's work on this. Let's fight for a relationship. Let's preserve this, right? But we're going to be honest. This is what happened with each step of the way as individuals or with mediators or with the church. It's grace and truth, grace and truth, grace and truth, grace and truth. It didn't just wake up one day and be like, bro, you drink Woods coffee. I drink Starbucks. You're out. We don't wear Birkenstocks. You're out. We cheer for the Seahawks only. You're out. You know, it's not that. And I know it seems like the nuclear option, and I'll tell you what, it kind of is. You got multiple keys turning to get to this point. This is not like I woke up one day and said, I don't like you anymore. Get out of here. And as you read this passage or think about this, I don't want anybody living with an irrational fear that one day Sean's going to email me and tell me I can't come to Hope City Church anymore because I wear denim on denim or because I don't cheer for the Seahawks or because I drink this kind of coffee, or because of, I drive a Subaru. And this isn't just, oh, Sean and I disagreed about the color of the paint or the, you know, the carpeting, or we disagreed on whether or not we should do a Halloween event. This is something, this is a point of conflict that becomes so divisive and detrimental to the relationship between the person, between the church, between the community, it is so divisive and hurtful and detrimental that something has to change. And multiple conversations are had and nothing changes. So you have to have that extreme conversation and that tough conversation. But it's to preserve the wholeness of the community of believers. I'll tell you what, that is not an option we jump to quickly. And you read that, and you read this passage, and I know this is going to sound like an oxymoron, but I have hope for Jesus' church. 
I know it sounds ridiculous to say that, but I have hope in Jesus' church. Christians are not immune to struggling with their sexuality and their sexual sin and their sexual identity and their addictions and all of this. But I believe, and I, I think you would agree, I believe the church can be a place of grace and truth where people can grapple with these things and find freedom, find wholeness, find their identity in Jesus, not in culture. Find their identity in Jesus and not just in their sexuality and their desires. Find their their truth in who Jesus says they are and find freedom and discover the life that Jesus has for them. I believe that for his church. But we can't help people if we can't be honest with each other. Can we? You ever work in an environment where everybody was just like, you're awesome, no, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome. At some point you're sitting in a staff meeting like, we can't all be awesome. Something needs to be changed, right? Something, can, we, can we speak some truth? We have to be honest with each other. But we also can't help each other if we can't be gentle. We have to be gentle. We have to be gracious in the way that we do this. Honesty and gentleness work hand in hand. We're not weaponizing our faith here. But I have hope that you and I can find friendships within the church for accountability, for honesty, for gentleness. Have friendships and relationships where people can really peel back the curtain and say, this is who I am and this is how I'm struggling and this is what I'm stuck in and would you pray for me? Will you counsel me? Will you give me a truth bomb here or there and I'll trust you to walk with me, not just try to correct me. Will I put in the time and the effort and the vulnerability and the honesty? Will I take the risk? I have hope in the church because I'm here today because of people who showed me grace and truth. Who saw the scary side, the hidden side, the not so good side of Sean and showed grace and showed truth. I believe that can be for all of us. Now, I can't be that person. Let me be very clear. I'm not going to be that, that accountability partner to each and every person, but I believe that's why we have the body of Christ. I believe that's why we have each other, and that's what gives me hope, is that the church can be a community of people who help each other grow in Jesus. That's why I have hope in the church. That's why I believe in the church. I believe that good stuff can still happen. I believe life can spring forth from this place, from you. Let's pray. Jesus, right now, I, I just, I pray for all of us that this can be a place, a place of grace and a place of honesty and truth. Help us to discover that balance that you, you exhibited, Jesus. You show us kindness. You show us mercy and compassion, but you're also honest with us. I pray that this can be a place where people can be honest with their struggles, with their questions. I, I pray and contend for relationships to spring forth in this coming season. That we aren't meant to do life alone.
Church, can I just pray for anybody right now that we're not looking around, but if you've ever felt hurt by the church, we bring this up and you might feel like, man, I got hit with some truth in a way that really hurt, or I got hurt because there was too much grace. You know, I don't know your story to the full extent in every detail, but when we talk about the church community being a, a hope for the world, you're sitting there saying, yeah, but. If talking about the church brings a sour taste in your mouth, would you just raise your hand and I want to pray for you? I don't want to fix you. I don't want to convince you. I just want to pray for you. I pray that Jesus would begin a healing work in you. If, if you've been hurt by the church, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. No shame. I'm not pointing you out. I'm not calling you up. I'm not even asking you what it is. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you, and I believe you and Jesus can have a holy moment right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, you know the stories represented by these hands. You know the pain, the hurt, the disappointment, the broken trust. You know everything that is enveloped in these moments and in these histories. And I pray, Jesus, you are a God that heals. You don't just heal physically. but God, you can heal relationally. You can heal emotionally. You can heal spiritually. I pray that you would just heal your church. Help us to begin to trust you and to trust your people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Chloe's coming up. She's going to send us out into our world. Um, I'm going to point out really quickly uh, just a couple of resources. It'll be up on the screen. A couple of different books. If you're interested in reading some thoughts from various authors, just talking about marriage and sexuality and these things, um, you can take a screenshot of that or come on up and I'll just have these up on the table. You can take a look at them or take a picture of them. And uh, just some great literature, some great resources to continue the conversation on your own or in a small group um, and just keep going and uh, in, in digging deeper into this if this is of interest to you or pertinent to where you're at in life. Man, we just care about you and we want to uh, continue to give you those resources. So, Chloe, will you just uh, send us out? If you want more information on Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.